Support for this program is provided by Chevron. All right, Zach, when I say Andreas Malm, in three sentences or less, what comes to mind? So Andreas Malm is a environmental activist who wrote a book called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And that's a pretty provocative book title and also idea. And lo and behold, he stands by the idea that humans should be destroying fossil fuel infrastructure. This is Politico Energy. I'm Nirmal Malaikul. Back in October, the New Yorker Radio Hour did a podcast episode with Swedish environmental activist and author Andreas Malm. Some of Malm's comments, along with the title of his book, got the attention of Texas law enforcement officials. So I am in favor of, of destroying machines, property, not harming people. That's a very, uh, very important distinction there. And I think property can be destroyed in all manner of ways, or it can be neutralized in a very gentle fashion, as when we deflated the SUVs, or in a more spectacular fashion, as in potentially blowing up a pipeline that's under construction. That's something that people have done. Eventually, those Texas law enforcement officials put together a report on Malm and shared it with their colleagues across the country. Today, Politico Zach Coleman on Andreas Malm's story, Defining Eco-Terrorism, and the Biden administration's response. It's Monday, December 6th. The story of Andreas Malm kind of brings up a lot of questions about eco-terrorism, but he really only got law enforcement's attention because of what he said, not what he actually did. And law enforcement hasn't tied him to any specific threats, right? Right. I mean, he's talking about an idea here. It's one that he believes in, saying essentially fossil fuel production already kills people. So this moment of desperation where governments have not put policies in action to ramp down fossil fuels at the scale and speed that's necessary to avert the most catastrophic effects of climate change, he's saying that people need to take matters into their own hands. And whether that is an idea that's widely held is debatable. I I would say that it is not widely held that people should go out and start dismantling and sabotaging property, but it's not to say that it hasn't been done. Yeah, and you sort of touched on this, but to be clear, are his views representative of a lot of environmentalist groups you talk to? And even though tracking of these kind of incidents is pretty limited, is eco-terrorism becoming more common? No, I mean, these are not actions that most environmental groups take. A lot of the environmental groups that I speak with that are covered in the popular press that are advocating for policy in Washington, D.C., that even are protesting pipelines out in the middle of the country and uh, on the coasts are ones that practice nonviolence. And so what are some actual examples of eco-terrorism? Yeah, so there were some examples cited in this intelligence bulletin, actually. Uh, you know, there have been cyber attacks on energy infrastructure, which is not what Andreas Malm was necessarily talking about. He's talking about physical destruction as well. But there was uh, a couple of people who Malm in an email to me called Great Heroes who dismantled empty valves on a pipeline to shut down pipelines in 2017. So it's basically actually attacking the infrastructure, but these are such isolated incidents. I mean, they do not happen often. And there's a question of 
Will they happen more often in the future? I don't think anyone can predict that, but there is a sense of desperation, especially among young people, that if policymakers aren't going to listen to us, uh, we might have to start taking our own action. So what's the Biden administration's approach to these kind of eco-terrorism threats? It feels like this brings up the question of what domestic terrorism is and isn't in 2021. Yeah, the Biden administration hasn't necessarily been prosecuting eco-terrorism because there hasn't been really many instances of it, but that this activist's name ended up on an intelligence bulletin was quite shocking to some of the people that my colleague Betsy Woodruff Swan talked to, despite having no specific action or credible threat tied to him, was a step a little bit farther than a lot of people thought should have been taken. So that being said, the Biden administration, as as Betsy wrote in the story, uh, has tried to take a uh, politically neutral approach to combating domestic terrorism. So whether you're on the right fringe or the left fringe, you're going to get attention. And I think you're certainly seeing that here with the case of Andreas Malm. Also, last week, the House Science Committee asked 10 major oil and gas producers that operate in the Permian Basin, which is in western Texas and southwest New Mexico, to share information about their leak detection and repair programs along with their methane emissions. The request was sent by the chair of the committee, Democrat Eddie Bernice Johnson of Texas. She asked the companies to provide records by January 21st. The move could be a first step toward potential legislative action to boost federal oversight of methane leak detection and repair. For context, the Biden administration has proposed stronger, expanded regulations to curb methane leaks. According to the EPA, those regulations would cut 41 million tons of methane emissions from the oil and gas sector between 2023 and 2035. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com morningenergy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Nermal Malaykul, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron's El Segundo refinery is looking to turn plant-based oil into renewable gasoline, jet, and diesel fuels. Because it's only human to want to power a better future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lowercarbon.